You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, we've got a two-part series on the future of the inner loop. Local leaders have big dreams about what the project could look like. This has the potential to be the largest public works project that we have in the city of Rochester for, for years and years to come. But people who live in these neighborhoods don't want to be left out of the conversation. We love our neighborhood. We want to be involved in what you're going to be putting into our neighborhood. Plus, a look at a summer camp that helps kids with social skills after a year of isolation. When you're on a a Zoom conference call, you're looking right into somebody's face. Some people with autism struggle with making eye contact. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. There have been literally decades of talk of filling in the inner loop. That's Rochester's C-shaped inner city highway. You might have taken it to work this morning. You might even be on it right now. And you're not alone. 14,000 cars take it every day. But the thing that makes it convenient is also what makes it problematic. It cuts right through Rochester's downtown neighborhoods and segments the city. Filling it in would be a massive undertaking, but it's gaining steam. WXXI's James Brown did a deep dive into this. He learned all about what the project could look like and what it would take to get it off the ground. He has this story. People who live in the neighborhoods bordering the inner loop know Norm Jones. How you doing? Good. We're on the corner of Lynnhurst and Sayo, a few blocks from where he grew up. He saw what the inner loop did to the area when it was built in the 1950s and 60s. It just cut some of the uh, real vital uh, uh, arteries of this community, of this neighborhood, away. And it took some of the lifeblood from it. As commissioner of the city's Department of Environmental Services, Jones is charged with leading a study to determine the future of the highway and its nearby neighborhoods. Jones is a proponent for filling in the inner loop. He says it could be one of Rochester's largest public works projects in decades, adding a lot of land to the cityscape, about 16 football fields. He estimates that it will cost anywhere between 70 and 250 million dollars. That range is so big because the project could still go a lot of different ways. It could be boulevards and green space. But what about the more than 14,000 car trips on that part of the highway each day? That's why Jones says a tunnel is being considered, along with lots of infrastructure. There's so many different things that's going on there. You have uh, utilities that need to be rearranged. You have the transportation grid that needs to be changed around. You have drainage. You have street lighting. You have park space. There's so much going on there. If that sounds outlandish, it's understandable. But there's reasons for the city to dream big. When the eastern part of the inner loop was filled several years ago, developers built a ton of stuff. Housing, offices, and just recently the Strong Museum of Play began a giant expansion. That's hundreds of millions of dollars of development. Jones says filling in the much larger north side of the highway could generate far more. And in March, the project went from possible to plausible when President Joe Biden announced a massive $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Because I'm convinced that if we act now, in 50 years, people are going to look back and say, this was the moment that America won the future. 
A fact sheet on the project says it includes about $20 billion for a new program that will reconnect neighborhoods cut off by historic investments, including highways. Negotiations for the project continue in Washington, and the Interloop development has support from Democrats like Congressman Joe Morelli and U.S. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer. Even with all that, Rochester Mayor Lovely Warren says competition for the funding will be fierce. Every city is positioning themselves to be able to access these funds that are once-in-a-lifetime funds to be able to build up communities that have been left behind and give them the support and the resources that they need to grow. Back on Lyndhurst Street, Norm Jones agrees with Warren. And he says if the city gets the funds, they want to do things differently this time. At the time when the decision was made to build this interloop, um, African-Americans, people of color, were not really part of the discussion. Uh, And now we are at the table. Coming up, part two of the future of the inner loop. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. Okay, so there's a lot of talk from local leaders about what filling in the inner loop could look like. But what about the people who live nearby? What do they think of all this? James Brown spoke to neighbors who really want to see this get off the ground. But they also want to say in what happens in their backyard. James has this story. Nancy hernandez Mashuska walks her dog Hope around her neighborhood every day. Rain or shine. Come here, Hope. Come here. Mashuska was born and lives in what's known as South Market View Heights, a neighborhood wedged between North Street, the Rochester Public Market, and the Interloop. The retired seamstress says the neighborhood is very different from the one she grew up in. There were single homes, there were families, there were double homes. It was beautiful. You would walk and all you would see is uh, houses everywhere. She also remembers lots of local businesses, a meat market, a pharmacy, bakeries, until the inner loop was built. And then, uh, then the neighborhood changed. She believes the construction of a highway through the center of the city drove away businesses and financial opportunities from the neighborhood. And she and her neighbors want it filled in with some conditions. In April, the committee met with Mayor Lovely Warren and other city leaders about the potential of filling in the inner loop and how it would affect the surrounding areas. They took this as an opportunity to ask the city to address the many vacant lots in their neighborhood. Warren told the group that those lots are vacant because the city is keeping them open for large-scale housing projects. But that kind of thing is exactly what neighbors don't want. We want the the neighborhood to come back with integrity. That's David Everett. He's one of the group's leaders. We we just don't want coming to bring those those housings, those new houses, building those townhouses into the neighborhood where the residents can't afford them. 
The group wants single-family housing on small lots for the sake of privacy and the potential for an easier path to home ownership. Ultimately, they want to see more people invested in the area's future. You know, a yard means a lot to a homeowner. And we used to go from yard to yard. We used to go from house to house to have, to have fun in that neighborhood. Street design is also key for them. Their wish list includes streets with center medians and trees and water fountains and grills and places to sit, gathering places for the neighborhood that also force cars and bikes to slow down. The group is asking for all of this without gentrification or being shoved out of place. City officials say that they're listening to residents. Norm Jones, who's quarterbacking this project for the city, promises that neighbors will have a say in all of this. It's important that they know that all of their concerns are going to be heard and are going to be somehow factored into this final project. Despite those assurances, the overall feeling among residents is that the process is moving too fast. And while they hope they had some influence on city officials, many are skeptical their input mattered at all. They've already decided that's the way we feel what is going to go up there in the inner loop when they fill it in. Mashushka said that residents had no say when the inner loop was built, and she fears that history may be repeating itself as plans for filling in the highway move forward. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. We're not invisible. James Brown is a reporter for WXXI News. This story originally aired last month, and since then there's been some forward movement on the Interloop project. James is here now to talk with me a little bit more about it. James, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay, so where are we now? In your story, you talk about the support in Washington and the potential funding. So where do we stand with all that? Well, it looks like a lot of support is coming from Washington. We've seen it both in Congress and in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Congressman Joe Morelli is pushing for about $5 million to help actually design the actual full-on design of the project. And since we've had now Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer come out and just overwhelmingly voice their support for the project. And I pledge to all of you, I will use my clout as majority leader to get the, this inner loop project funded. And say they're pushing for hundreds of millions of dollars to make it happen. That's a lot of money. Lots of money. When we get these hundreds of millions of federal dollars, we want to make the jobs, these new construction jobs, go to the people in the community. So on a local level, we know that Mayor Lovely Warren was supportive of an inner loop reconstruction. But since then, there's been an election, of course. She's going to be replaced by Malik Evans. How does that affect the project? Well, Malik has been a part of this process from the beginning. One of his, I guess, charges as a, as a city council member was to oversee the Department of Environmental Services, which handles just about every major construction project in the city of Rochester. Mm-hmm. And also, I saw Malik in many of the public engagement meetings that I watched online Uh, interacting with different groups on this project. So he's well aware of what's happening. And when Schumer and Gillibrand did come to town, 
he made it clear that he was all aboard. That interlude, that wasn't a natural occurrence. We're saying those days are over and that now we want to reconnect the community. He wants maximum flexibility. He wants the most money possible, which isn't very surprising because, <laughs> because you know, why would you want less money? Right. And of course, the question that everyone has for these large scale development projects is what's, you know, what's the timeline for this? When are we going to know more about what's actually going to happen? Well, there appears to be a couple of deadlines coming up. September, there's going to be a lot of movement. I'm told the city council members are headed down to Washington in that time frame to push for Interloop North to be involved in this giant infrastructure deal. Also, I spoke to the commissioner of environmental services who told me that October was the deadline for at least the Warren versions of these designs. I think uh, the Malik Evans factor factors into that as well, because I would think whatever the Evans administration looks like in January, those concepts will probably look different even then. Mm -hmm. So we still got a little ways to go before we know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, it's not happening tomorrow. (laughs) All right. James Brown, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. You can read more of James Brown's reporting on the Interloop on our website, wxxinews.org. It's finally summertime, and with that comes a lot of activities for kids, especially as everything is reopening, which is great because kids have had a tough year. Pulled away from their friends and classmates during lockdown and forced into online schooling, then in-person schooling with social distancing, then hybrid learning models and a million other variations and obstacles. Kids with autism seem to have an especially hard time. But my colleague Noelle Evans found out about a summer program that aims to help. She has this story especially back when the pandemic has just started, it, I felt really isolated. That's Owen Penniston. He's 12 years old. Last March, when the coronavirus reached the area, fifth grade was never the same. He and his classmates, like so many others around the globe, had to quickly adjust to remote learning. Not exactly easy. I don't have my teachers here, and it sometimes gets really hard to learn especially with a computer often giving you the answers. Owen is on the autism spectrum. For him, online classes don't cut it. And by its nature, remote learning leaves out a key aspect of education, social-emotional learning. Jen Hackett is a special education teacher and the executive director of Camp Puzzle Piece, or CPP. She works with children with cognitive social delays to build social skills and coping strategies. What we do is we work on those, don't forget to, you know, use your strategies, take a deep breath, ask to take a break, to go for a walk, and helping to coach the kids through those situations. CPP runs a summer day camp called Community Connections. Beyond the usual summer recreational activities, there are one-on-one and group workshops to enhance kids' abilities to navigate social interactions. One of the things that happens to our kids, they get frustrated. They, you know, might not be able to do something. They can't read something, and they don't know how to deal with those feelings, and then they might act out. The format goes, teach the social skill, practice the social skill, then use the social skill. might be a theme for the day is introducing yourself. So... They um, talk about introducing yourself, then they learn the steps to it, then they get up and practice it. Owen will be attending the camp this July. 
so will Golisano Autism Center director Beth Ciardi's 14-year-old son, Chris. Like Owen, Chris wasn't fond of remote learning either, his mom says. Some people with autism struggle with making eye contact. If, if you think about it, when you're on a, um, a Zoom conference call, uh, you're looking right into somebody's face. Jen Hackett says that as more students get back to in-person learning, there are some noticeable differences as they reemerge from various levels of isolation. Some kids who we thought were really going to struggle because they were struggling in the home environment are doing well now that some kids have gone back. But other students are withdrawing into their inner worlds and doing something called scripting. Hackett says that's when a student could, for instance, replay an entire episode of a favorite show in their mind, word for word. It's a way to block out things, and it's a way to, it's comforting. But it's what she calls a competing behavior. If you're scripting, you may be missing out on a lesson or a chance to interact with other kids. So Hackett plans to help students come out of those safe spaces and learn ways of coping with the world around them. For Owen, while this will be his first time at the camp, he's also just looking forward to the season. Like a regular summer. Noelle Evans is a reporter for WXXI News. You've been listening to Earshot from WXXI News. And we want to know, what are the stories you're thinking about? What are you talking about in your community? Let us know at earshot at WXXI.org. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on all local news. Find even more at our website, WXXINews.org. Music this week from Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.